Welcome to Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams and I, are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. So yes, Aaron, it is the fall of 2023, and according to my copy of Marvel Studios, the Marvel Studios Cinematic Universe, an official timeline, this is when it all went down. I mean, it was the fall of 2023 when the Avengers went back in time and collected all the Infinity Stones. It's also when Thanos attacked the Avengers campus in upstate New York. Uh, also when we lost Tony Stark. This is also supposedly when the grief-stricken Wanda Maximoff arrives in uh, Westview, New Jersey, and proceeds to take over that town. Meanwhile, Loki's in the TVA at this point, watching the sacred timeline suddenly branch off in a billion different directions. And I, I want to stress here, it's not all bad news. Uh, this is also when Cap goes back to return the Infinity Stones and stops off to see Peggy Carter and follows Tony Stark's advice to get a life and has a, has a wonderful life. And Wait a minute, and then, hold on. So, so the recap, very, very briefly. Uh, yeah. The world is ending, half of mm -hmm. humanity is being wiped out, and right. uh, Mr. Rogers is stopping off for a nooner? Well, remember, they had... <laughs> well, you said he got a happy ending. I didn't realize it was in those kind of quotes, happy ending. Okay. <laughs> Back in the present day, uh, a, a somewhat older Steve Rogers meets up again with Bruce Banner, Bucky, and Sam Wilson, and actually hands off Cap Shield to Sam and gets the the whole new Captain America storyline going. But this all happened in a single three-month period mm -hmm. of the MCU history. And I am loving this 344-page coffee table book from DK. Beautifully illustrated. They do a great job of moving you chronologically through the movies and the limited series to date. Does it actually include Loki 2, or is that left off because it was just too current, too recent to make the cut of the book? This book takes you all the way up to the late fall, early December of 2025. It covers some of the events in Thor Love and Thunder. It doesn't show you Thor as a dad off living with his, his daughter, but it does also show that Werewolf by Night happened in that same period of time, and the book effectively ends in December of that same year with the, the events from Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. So I'm, I'm hoping Hold on. some... Let's go back real quick to Werewolf by Night is a modern day tale. Yes, it is. No kid. Okay, just because of the black and white aspect of it, mm -hmm. I squarely had that in my mind of like nineteen late nineteen sixties, early nineteen seventies, and they may have had very modern day references, but it was just the the look and feel of the movie that they were trying to emulate M makes my mind say that was the time period that took place in. So, uh, color me shocked right now to find out that's like you know yesterday on the timeline. I get that. I get that. I mean, and having just watched Werewolf by Night in color, which we'll talk about uh, later on today's show, the gramophone that's playing, you know, Judy Garland playing somewhere over the rainbow. Right. I can totally see how you'd 
you get that. But I mean, the, same... the tuba with the flamethrower, it's like not well, very modern that you've got that in the polka band is the flamethrowing tuba. But, you know, OK. I have to admit this time around, I was eyeballing the tuba mm-hmm. just to figure out how they did it. Because there's, you know, sort of a wraparound of the rim of the horn. Yeah. Because I had two brothers who played sousaphones in high school. And those things were brutally heavy. And more to the point, when it was hot the metal instrument would carry heat. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's just the whole notion of who's ever playing that is like, okay, you know, how, how were the second degree burns going? But, I just think that somebody that was in charge of that had watched Mad Max Fury Road and that guitarist on top strapped to the front of whatever vehicle it was with the flamethrowers and the oh. playing the anthem as they come racing down the desert. It was like, we, we need to emulate that, but with a tuba, a good oompa-pa to get the party started would be just lovely. Just, just <laughs> waiting for the propane philharmonic to get together there. So. The propane right. philharmonic, brilliant. Okay, so anyway, also this week continued on in the MCU, the reign of Marvel Studios, quarter of a way through now that that 512-page hardcover, and just gotten into the section about the making of The Incredible Hulk back in 2007, which does not sound like fun. But we'll talk more about that movie on the second half of today's show. Plus, Aaron is going to share his thoughts and insights on Spider-Man 2 uh, for the PS5. I have to ask, I was reading today that this game, which dropped on October 20th, this past Friday, Mm -hmm. already, I guess, 25% of the folks have completed the main game. Are you in that category, Aaron? Oh, God, no. I don't have quite that much free time to to dive into. I wish I did, because Mm -hmm. what I've gotten through so far is the most thoroughly enjoyable Spider-Man experience I think I've ever had in my life. So I can't wait to talk about that later on today. Wow. Okay. So anyway, we have lots of Marvel-related news to get to, folks. But the news portion is brought to you uh, by Touring Plan's own travel agency, If you're thinking of heading on down to Walt Disney World anytime soon, these obviously very knowledgeable folks can help. They'll even toss in a free subscription to touring plans with every vacation package you book. So before your next trip to Florida, please check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel. So we were just talking a moment ago about Werewolf by Night in color. So did you in fact get to see that? I have not watched the in color version Mm -hmm. yet. And uh, it it was just occurring to me only like a day or so ago Mm -hmm. that uh, we don't have a new holiday Halloween special. Remember how it got that special intro, Mm -hmm. the the Marvel special, whatever Mm -hmm. it was that they did? Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, like we don't have a Halloween special from Marvel this year. So that was making me think, well, maybe I should revisit Werewolf by Night in color Mm -hmm. and uh, make that my Halloween viewing for, Mm -hmm. for this year. But I haven't seen it yet, no. I watched it last night, wanted to be sure to, to have bagged it before we talked today. And it's still fun. I mean, mm-hmm. it. I in spite of all of the hype, I don't necessarily buy this as a Hammer film. I mean, no. yeah, it, they make an interesting use of color. Now, does it look like current modern day color or does it have a certain tint to it that suggests a certain era or style? You've nailed it in one. That's, that's what they went for. In a weird sort of way, it sort of feels like if a classic universal horror movie from, say, the 30s and the 40s had a baby with Hammer. I mean, it just, mm-hmm. that use of color and, and that sort of thing. 
I mean, I still enjoy Jack and Ted, the, the, the Swamp Things relationship. In yeah. fact, the the end of the film where it's like, what, you rescued me? All right, this time we'll have sushi. I mean, there's a lot of fun touches, but I kind of wish we did get a, a new Halloween or a holiday special from from the folks at Marvel this year. I would have even accepted like a, a one-off Moon Knight where he, you know, fights a werewolf for an hour. You know, I'm, I'm cool with that as well. You know, it doesn't okay. always have to be down the uh, Swamp Thing path or, well, not Swamp mm-hmm. Thing, but uh, was it Man Thing along got with it. Uh, got it. Yeah, Man Thing, my mistake. By night. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, what about uh, episode three, season two of Loki? Did we manage to get that in the bag? Or Yeah, Jim, and it's been so very disappointing because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, here we've been watching stuff like Nick Fury's uh, Adventures in uh, Secret Invasion, and, and mm-hmm. it just looked like a, they put Samuel L. Jackson out in the streets and filmed a thing, and it didn't look like it cost a lot. Mm-hmm. And now I'm watching Loki, episodes one, two, and three so far, and, like, every scent is on the screen. The sets are visually stunning. They're just mm-hmm. spectacular. And I know there's a lot of, you know, probably digital set extensions. You know, they didn't mm-hmm. make all of the TVA in real life, but the rooms that they did make are so stunning and gorgeous and look like they cost a bazillion dollars to mm-hmm. film on. And that's the thing that I'm just stunned by. And the other thing as well is Loki so far has managed to make uh, He Who Remains Mm -hmm. much more threatening in the the first two episodes. And we never even see the guy. Mm -hmm. It's just his fear of what if he shows up. That in that franticness that he puts into his his acting that really, you know, drives that, oh, my God, this is a huge threat, almost Mm -hmm. more so than all of the Ant-Man Quantumania film, you know. And uh, anyway, episodes one and two, I think, have just been super fantastic. Episode three, you know, they had to get a little more exposition to keep the Mm -hmm. story moving forward. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. quite as uh, frantic and and action heavy, but it's still a, a great episode. And uh, everything in it so far, I mean, OB has mm-hmm. been one of my favorite things uh, ever because he's he's always very, very polite. But we're all doomed. We're all going to die, like right now, but with a smile. <laughs> it's very nice to meet you. We've only got five minutes left. Would you like tea? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to face the end of the world, what better chap to face it with than OB? Because he just keeps it bright and keeps it moving. But yeah, everything about Loki is just got me tickled pink. And uh, and then when I look at stuff like Secret Invasion, I go, Patoo, that leaves a bad taste in my mouth all of a sudden. Loki is just chef's kiss and uh, exactly in the Marvel sweet spot for me. Okay, well, uh, on next week's show, because I, I need to confirm a few things, but there's been a, a story bubbled up about Secret Invasion where evidently as much as you dislike what showed up on the screen. The behind the scenes evidently would have been a very entertaining show. Lots of people being fired, lots of people quitting in the middle of the pandemic, and you know, writers being replaced, show people being ripped, ripped off the project. I, evidently, it was a complete mess behind the scenes. But anyway, back to uh, episode three, four. All of you uh, Disney fans out there, again, what's kind of interesting about where this particular episode was set, the White City, uh, the Chicago World's Fair of 1893, also known as the Columbian Exposition. Walt Disney's dad, Elias, actually worked on that. He was, a, a you know, helped in the construction of that thing. You know, there's a lot of folks who work the Disney history side of the street, and his dad telling Walt about 
you know, the amazing, you know, the, the rides, the Ferris wheels, the streets, and mm-hmm. feel like, okay, you know, I think we know where the seeds of Disneyland came from. Also, I have to say, I love how they're continuing Mobius's food obsession. We, right. we had the key lime pie in episode two, and this time around, he discovered Cracker Jack. And if they're not serving freshly made Cracker Jack in Avengers Campus at DCA right now, somebody at Disney has dropped the ball. Right. That could be making big dough. Yep. But at the same time, I have to admit, I enjoyed uh, Jonathan Major's performance in this as Victor Timely, who was never, ever what he seemed to be. I mean, again, the character kept opening and changing, and then sort of the final beat of the show, you know, to the effect of, you know, you don't know what's in my heart and Sylvie's decision. This is going places I hadn't quite anticipated, especially coming out of of what we saw of Kang and his variants at the ends of Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania. Yeah. One thing I would really greatly appreciate at the mm-hmm. end of the Kang Dynasty and the Secret Wars movies are all wrapped up and done. Mm-hmm. Yep. I want someone to sit down with Jonathan Majors and say, all right, break it down for me person by person. What made you choose to do the, this voice? Like at the end of uh, Quantumania, the the. I don't know if you'd call them the elders, but the, you know, the... Yes, the the trio. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, some of them spoke with a hiss and blah. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he went really bold with that choice. And also, Mm -hmm. now that he's doing uh, Victor Timely as a character, Mm -hmm. he had that pause. Yeah. Almost like a William Shatner kind of thing and i just want to know i mean obviously he's he's trying to differentiate every character and make it a unique individual and i think that's the right choice Mm -hmm. but at some point as an actor he's got to make up in his mind i'm going to speak like this and this is the reason behind that what is Mm -hmm. my backstory for creating this type of cadence or this kind of you know hissy delivery or or whatever it is and yeah i just want to have him give a chance to peek inside of his mind and say this is what i was thinking when i had to make 20 different versions of the same dude i I think that would be a fascinating behind the scenes for an actor i am really hoping we get that opportunity but at the same time we have to acknowledge that on a parallel track in fact just today Jonathan Majors appeared in a Manhattan court via Zoom. He was out of state. But this is, once again, the trial dealing with those misdemeanor charges for assault and harassment from what happened back in March of this year. And today, Majors' legal team filed a motion to get the charges dismissed. The the judge rejected that motion. An official trial date has finally been set. It's November 29th. The prosecutors today tried to introduce a piece of evidence that they got from the London Metropolitan Police that supposedly details an incident that happened last year, uh, September of 2022. And it's something that supposedly happened while Majors was in the UK shooting season two of Loki. And while nobody wants to particularly get into the details of this report, it supposedly There's at least one aspect that deals with the medical care of Grace Jabari, Jonathan's former romantic partner and and the woman who uh, accused him on on March 25th. And so Major's attorneys are very concerned about this report. They want to keep it out of next month's trial. 
because obviously if you're connecting the dots here, mm. two incidents, you know, uh, you know the, indicates a pattern. Yeah. There we go. So Major's defense attorney, Seth Zuckerman, told Judge Michael Gaffney that he believed the disclosure of sensitive information will limit Major's rights to a fair trial. And Gaffney has not ruled yet on the prosecution's motion to reintroduce this police report from Alendon. The judge has gone so far as to give Major's defense team until November 16th to submit papers that present a, a legal argument to the effect of why this evidence should not be introduced. And he'll rule on that out ahead of the November 29th proceedings. And so upside, delaying Major's trial again, but this is supposedly for the last time, meant that season two of Loki will not be disrupted by any ugly stories coming out of a Manhattan courtroom. But you have to assume that the folks at Marvel Studios are not happy about not only is there potentially another report out there, but that it happened during the production of season two of Loki. It's like, oh, that's not good. You know, I have to believe at this point, they've already got a contingency plan for either scenario, innocent or mm -hmm. guilty. Mm -hmm. They've got a plan drawn up and all they have to do is call the ball, so to speak, and, and make it happen. And I do think, you know, when we've looked at all of the previews for Loki season two thus mm -hmm. far, uh, dude hasn't been featured so much in the advertising. Uh, mm -hmm. Kang, mm -hmm. you know, he's he's been hidden away now. Uh, some of that just maybe for plot reasons and spoiler mm -hmm. alerts and stuff like that. Because uh, obviously we're dealing with Victor Timely. By the way, have we yet mentioned on the show the name Timely is the original Marvel Comics name from the earliest of days? Oh, I, I know you have mentioned that previously on other shows, but not making that specific connection. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Some roots okay. there. Anyway, so yeah, there I, we go. I, I think that uh, Marvel's got a plan one way or the other, and they're just going to wait to find out what the verdict is. And we'll we'll see either more or less of Jonathan after that. Got it. And speaking of plans, questions come up. Are we going to get a season three of Loki? And the show's producer has said they're taking a season-by-season season approach. Now, mind you, he, he said, look, there is more story to tell. And when we went into making season one of Loki, we knew that we were shooting for a, a season two to complete that story. But whatever is coming for season three will be a standalone. And I apologize. I hope that's not a spoiler. Now, we have to talk about the actor strike. Uh, been going on for 103 days as of today. So, you know, even if we're talking about a Loki three, yes, the writers can now write a season three of Loki. But, you know, the actors couldn't appear in it if there were a script. But at the same time, it's important to remember that an equal part of the Hollywood equation is not just production, but it's promotion. Mm -hmm. And right now, nothing can be promoted in the way it traditionally is. I mean, take, for example, the Marvels, all right? This show will go live online on Friday, October 27th, which will be just two weeks out for when that Nia DaCosta movie will officially open at theaters worldwide on Friday, November 10th. And, and normally by now, Aaron, Brie Larson, Samuel Jackson, Tiona Paris, and Imani Vellani, they'd have done every morning talk show, they'd have done every late night panel show, they would be in the middle of traveling the world 
doing the film premiere in London and the film premiere in Paris and the, you know, whatever. And, but that's not happening this time around with the Marvel. So did you see where industry analysts had, as a direct result, revised the box office projections for, for this Captain Marvel sequel? Yeah, it's incredibly low for a Marvel film. But yep. uh, that's projection, and uh, we won't know if that's going to be an accurate number. Uh, by the way, go ahead. What what was their projection? What was the number they're touting right now? Well, is- uh, right now, the ballpark, so to speak, is supposedly 75 to 80 million, which is roughly 50% of the what the original Captain Marvel made back in March of 2019. That was $150 million over its opening weekend domestic. Mm-hmm. Some of this... We have to acknowledge what happened with The Flash and Black Adam and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. They're, they're, you know, superhero fatigue is a thing. But at the same time, with the Marvels, one of the reasons this film won't make 2019 money is just, you know, the, the very promotion, the very things that get us excited to go, ooh, I'm going to go opening weekend and catch that. They haven't been able to do. And the other aspect is the actor strike has now dragged on long enough. And and, and there's been such little movement uh, in regard to, to settlement. Yeah, I, I want to make a prediction on that front right now. Mm-hmm. And, okay. and this is, you know, mark it on your calendar if you want. Mm-hmm. Because the writers just got back to work. Mm-hmm. Studio knows they don't need actors yet because they don't have scripts yet. It's going to take a good, like, you know, 30, 60, 90 days before the writers coming out of their strike are going to have material for an actor to be needed. And right now, they're not going to pay an actor just to promote a, a movie. The movie's in the can. We can, ru- we can run a commercial on TV if we want mm-hmm. and make people aware that way and spend our money in that budget. But they're, the, the motion picture group, the AM. PTP or whatever it is, mm-hmm. they're not going to budge at least for uh, 60 days and they're going to try and pinch the actors in bad deals to get them to cave because they don't need them right this very second. And so Jeez. they can afford to be jerks about it. Jeez, I hope you're wrong. It's business. What do they got? What are they going to pay them for? If they make a deal right now and they go, okay, great. Today is Friday. The, the deal is done. Go back to work. What are the actors going to do? Fly around to those talk shows and gab about an upcoming project. Like I said, you can run a commercial and do that for not free, but you don't have to pay the actor and the airfare and the hotel and the sushi and the blah, 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 blah. They don't have anything for them to do. So they're just going to sit on it and just make them suffer until a script is done. They go, now we actually need an actor. We need to make a deal. I got to tell you from the exhibitor side of the fence, as happy as they are, with how the Taylor Swift movie has, you know, for example, number one at the box office again mm-hmm. this past weekend. But, you know, they're staring into the abyss of next spring and beyond. And, right. and in fact, Deadline actually reported earlier this week that Disney is within inches at this point of, take, for example, Deadpool 3. The plan right now seems to be that Captain America Brave New World will swap a release dates with Deadpool 3. So... Deadpool 3, which was originally supposed to arrive in theaters May 3rd of next year, would be pushed out to July 26th, whereas this Captain America would be brought forward to, again, Deadpool's old May 3rd release date. And they're making this change for one reason. Captain America Brave New World actually managed to get all of its principal photography done before the uh, the actor's strike 
hmm. you know, begin on July 14th. That's the only reason. At least someone's got something going for them in the game right now. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, if we look over to the TV side of Marvel Studios, we've had Agatha the Darkhold Diaries, which remember, that was actually supposed to debut in December of this year and then roll into January of 2024. Right now, that has been pushed off to September 19th of next year. Now, What's kind of interesting, you were just talking about the, gee, I wish that Marvel Studios had done a holiday special. Mm -hmm. Evidently, that's what's actually being done with Agatha Darkhold Diaries. They are starting it in mid-September. It's going to be six episodes, so it will chug right through to Halloween, the week of Halloween. Just let me know when it passes the New Mutants uh, (laughs) record of being stuck on a shelf. Oh, <laughs> that's our wow. benchmark right now. It's a, it's a high bar, go. but okay. by God, if Agatha crosses it, we're going to have a new yeah. new champion. There we go. There we go. On the other hand, uh, Spider-Man Freshman Year, the animated series, artists have been working on this, writers have been working on this, but because the, again, actors can't come off the picket lines to record dialogue for the show, launch of this Disney series for Disney Plus is now pushed back to November 2nd of next year. Wait a minute, hold on. You said the animators have been working on it, but they don't have actors to voice it. Don't In animation, don't you have to lay down your dialogue first so they know how to make the lips flappy flappy accordingly? You can do a temporary voice tracks. In fact, when Disney does a feature film, you'll get the like a reel. You assemble the story, you have temporary voice tracks. In in this case, especially, it's not actors. Right. You know, it's it's the writers, it's, it's that sort of thing. So you can at least get, you know, your a boards up. the timing and all that. Yeah. that that's it, exactly. And, and Spider-Man's got a full face mask, so you well, don't even no, have to worry about that The other thing, oh, the lipstick is off. It's yep, terrible. Yep, okay. Yep, okay, okay. All right, so anyway, we, we now pivot to Ironheart. And remember, once upon a time, this limited series, which uh, stars Dominic Thorne as Riri Williams, it was supposed to debut this fall. And this limited series has now been pushed back a full two years. It's not going to show up on Disney Plus till September 3rd, 2025. And... I want to make sure I got this name right. Mephisto, right? The the Mephisto. 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 I always yeah. get it wrong. Mephisto. Played by Sasha Baron Cohen. I you know that Really? For real? Is that is that solid? Like we've talked about this earlier in the All show. Right. That you know, they affect the call sheet say mystery man, you know, and Sasha's been on the set of both Riri and Agatha Coven of Chaos, Darkhold Diaries, name to be named later. So now that character, you know, comes on the canvas with Darkhold Diaries. Now, what's interesting is folks at Marvel have been pointing out to me that what else is also going on here? It's not just the strikes. It's Iger. When Bob Chapek was in charge of, of Disney, it was literally, what's next? You know, Disney Plus needs content. Where Iger evidently has made the decision that Marvel has to become special again. And so if we have to start slow-walking product to theaters and the subscription streaming service to make these things 
special again. We're going to do it. Well, you know, the recent price hike, the 50% price hike on, on Disney Plus that was just announced. Yeah. And it's like, and you've got a drought of content coming up because of all these strikes that you've had to do. And, and you want to raise the price on me? I do mm-hmm. have a feeling I am going to be canceling my subscription for a while and mm-hmm. waiting for, you know, it's like I'm, I want at least two or three shows to be done and complete. I'm going to buy the subscription for a month. I'm going to binge the three shows and then I'm going to cancel it again because I just don't have the the time or the money to, to mess with it right now. Well, speaking of not having the time, you've been, so when you have free time, which you <laughs> right. do not have a lot of. No, I don't. Uh, you have been playing uh, Spider-Man 2 on your PS5. Which, yeah, yeah. All right, which we will hear more about on the second half of today's show. And also, again, we'll be talking about it. why Edward Norton only played the Hulk once. Spider-Man 2 is the sequel to Marvel's Spider-Man, the 2018 action-adventure game developed by Insomniac Games and published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. Mm -hmm. It came out on uh, Friday, October 20th, and supposedly has already sold 2.5 million games. In fact, uh, those 2.5 million games sold in the first 24 hours. Yeah, I had mine pre-ordered a couple of weeks before it came out. So, yeah, I mean, it's the people were primed for this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a triple A AAA title, uh, top level, and and uh, everybody was yeah very excited for it. I also want to mention that uh, the Spider Man Miles Morales kind of served as Spider Man one point five in mm-hmm. the video game archive there because it was the same New York just with a snow overlay for Christmas time, and Miles mm-hmm. Morales is the character, and it was going to be I believe like a DLC, a download content for the mm-hmm. original Spider Man game. But instead, they charged you only forty dollars and made it its own individual game, as opposed to the regular sixty dollars price point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, the Spider-Man and then Miles Morales Spider-Man and then now Spider-Man Two uh, continues the story of those first two. And now the thing is, these aren't necessarily spoilers, but um, we know from advertising that Venom shows up in this. Mm-hmm. So. It should not take a huge leap of imagination to know that at some point Peter Parker gets the black suit. That's mm-hmm. just logic, right? There's no way that they're going to go the entire game and Pete's not going to get the suit. Okay. So uh, I, I get the suit and uh, the I read a little article by one of the game developers and they're talking about what it's like when you turn into the, the Venom version of Spider-Man. And he goes, mm-hmm. I wanted it to be like an addiction, like alcoholism or drug addiction. So the way that they did that is like they give you your regular spider powers and you play as Miles and Peter and you can swap back and forth very, very quickly and easily between the two characters. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a treat and you're playing the characters and all of a sudden, boom, you get the the Venom symbiote suit and all of a sudden you are super powered with your superpowers and you're just Mm -hmm. taking out thugs left and right, super easy and it looks beautiful on the screen and it's really, really slick. And then when you like hit your anger buttons... Mm-hmm. My controller growled. It's got a little speaker built into it. It goes, oh, yeah, and it scared the <laughs> hell out of me. Like, okay. what's going on with my controller? But it's the rage, and it mm-hmm. was just so stinking neat mm-hmm. to have my controller rumbling and vibrating as I'm kicking the snot out of these thugs, and it's growling and snarling. And roar. 
And uh, even my wife is like, what the hell is going on over there? That's that's mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, so yeah, I'm just kicking the snot out of these thugs. And at some point, I imagine I'm probably going to lose access to the suit. And when I do, I have a feeling I'm going to crave it back. I'm going to want to to get it back on my skin again because it's mm-hmm. just so fun to play. So I and I haven't gotten very far, so I can't really talk about well, you know do I do I get it off you know and and do I am I going to be able to get it back on again? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, so anyway, at, at some point now that's just the regular skinny black and white Spider Man costume. At some point we're going to get big muscly Venom, and I don't know how that's going to come about just yet because there's no Eddie Brock in this game, so we don't have that big muscle builder physique. However, and this is the thing I was not expecting about this game at all. We have another primary villain, and lo and behold, it's Craven the Hunter. Now, really? Yeah. Now, the thing is, Craven has never been in my top list of favorites by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination. But this incarnation of Craven is so vile and ruthless and murderous and bloodthirsty and crazy that I cannot help but love every stinking second he's on the screen. It's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, if if you cruise through your X account, I noticed a lot of people on X saying, oh, man, uh, comparing Craven in the PS5 video game versus Aaron Taylor Johnson in that trailer, it, it was like an atomic bomb going off versus a baby throwing a hissy fit in the corner. It's just no comparison. It, you know, they're just too far apart. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Craven in this... and. Uh, I don't want to, you know, spoil the big mm. plot points, but let's just say, okay, Craven is a hunter. He goes after animals. Mm. Spider-Man has many villains that are animal-themed, like Scorpion or Vulture or Dr. Octopus or any number of other villains that, that have that thing going on with them. Well, mm-hmm. Craven straight up murders these fools. And mm. not like, I'll be back in the next scene, but no, straight up dead. There is no more X character anymore. Uh, Craven just murdered him. In cold blood in front of you, and you're and it's shocking, mm-hmm. and uh, it really sends a, a level of a threat that we've never felt from this dude before. It's it's almost you know spine chillingly good. So uh, with that, the uh, swinging around New York, I'll tell you, it's got a fast travel mechanism that I will never ever use because most of the joy in this game mm-hmm. is swinging around a fully realized New York City. Mm-hmm. It's just so much fun that you don't want to fast travel. You want if it that marker is 10 miles across town i'm gonna swing there because it's just that much damn fun um yeah so the swing mechanic is good the fighting is good the story is is very unique because it it's not following anything from the movies at all um there is no hint of the mcu even hinted at in in this uh game at all there's no eddie brock venom with tom hardy that's not mm-hmm. the character that's going on so sony's doing its its own thing with the video game mm-hmm. and they are reaping massive benefits because the storytelling is great oh there's one scene i'll tell you this much mm-hmm. um <laughs> in the moment peter's having a bad day with mm-hmm. with the black suit and he's kind of angry and MJ, brilliant girl that she is, asks Miles to collapse the tunnel as she drives a motorcycle in there so she can be alone with Pete and talk to him because Pete won't hurt her. And I'm like, girl, what's wrong with your damn fool head? <laughs> That's the worst idea. Collapse the, the tunnel so I can be alone with my boyfriend and talk to him. Oh, my God. Horrible, horrible. So I'm just like guffawing at the stupidity of this. And all of a sudden, 
I'm playing as MJ inside of this dark collapsed tunnel with symbiote suit Peter. And you know what vibe I got, Jim? That scared the shit out of me when I realized what I was, what I had going on in my head. Mm. That was Ripley versus the alien uh-huh. on the Nostromo. That is exactly the vibe that they put into that scene because Pete loses it and tells her to run. And as soon as she starts running, he starts stalking her like prey. And everything about that was screaming Ripley running to the escape hatch to get in the shuttle pod and get off the Nostromo freaking now. So when I talk about like it had cinematic quality, like you could point to a specific scene and say they nailed this feeling so well. So overall, I mean, I don't want to rant for hours about it, but it is probably the best video game experience I've had in the last three, four, five years uh, since I played the last Spider-Man game. And this is by far my favorite Spider-Man experience I've had on a console. Just really, really great stuff. And I want to say also, it's very inclusive. Miles is dating a deaf girl, so there's a lot of sign language in the game, which I think is brilliant. Uh, there is at least two acknowledgments of LGBTQ individuals in the game, uh, which is also great for its inclusiveness. And uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, just those elements, adding diversity into the game, I think is is really important as well. And uh, yeah, everything about it, just kudos and applause to them. They did a marvelous job. I can't wait for Spider-Man 3 coming in a few years, I'm sure. Again, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, it's a great time. Okay, well, uh, you were just talking about Alien, which makes me think of Aliens, the James Cameron movie, which was produced by Gail Hurd. And I bring up Gail because when uh, Marvel in, in 2007 or thereabouts started talking about, you know, we're, we're launching Marvel Studios and, you know, we're making two movies. We're, you know, starting off with Iron Man and we're starting off with The Incredible Hulk, which Gail Hurd was the producer of the Ang Lee Hulk, but also came back to produce The Incredible Hulk. And, you know, when she got asked what's going to be different about this movie, she said, well, first of all, the Hulk's not going to be three different sizes. Which I don't necessarily think is fair. I mean, wasn't that one of the conceits of the Ang Lee movie that the angrier the Hulk got, the bigger he got? Yeah, and it was like they kept shooting him and he just took took all the pain and got angrier and bigger Mm -hmm. as a result. Yeah. Yeah. So that film came out in, in 2001, had wonderful effects, didn't exactly set the box office on fire. So this was when Marvel Studios was getting up out of the ground and they they looked at which of the characters that were not being held by other studios, uh, you know, and again, by then Sony has, is making the Spider-Man movies and Fox is making the X-Men movies. So what's left? It's like, okay, we got Iron Man and we got Hulk and let's relaunch the Hulk. And so they wanted to do what they had done with Iron Man, you know, get a, 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 an unusual actor. And, and here's the thing, Edward Norton had just won an Academy Award. And I want to say for, what was it, American Citizen X? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. And so the actual director of the movie was like, all right, I get that. You'll have an Academy Award winner playing the Hulk. But I have another actor in mind, Mark Ruffalo. You know, and I think he'd be really much better for this part. And But in the end, Kevin Feige was like, no, let, let's go with Norton. And, you know, he can give our Hulk film uh, you know, a certain amount of prestige. And the interesting thing is the American Citizen X, Norton actually rewrote 
a lot of uh, the script for that. And so when it came time to make his deal for Hulk, he was like, well, I, you know, I'd like to do the same thing. I'd like to be a hands-on participant in this. So if I'm going to sign on with this, I want to be able to rewrite the script. And he wrote the, the original opening for uh, The Incredible Hulk, where it's the Bruce Banner character up in the Arctic. Mm-hmm. And he, finally you realize he's got a gun and he's hiked out here because he's going to commit suicide. Right. And, you know, he puts the gun in his mouth and he pulls the trigger and the transformation to the Hulk is instantaneous and the Hulk spits out the bullet. You know, mm-hmm. just you you can't, you know, but the, the interesting thing is that evidently there was a part of this story that, again, would have been cool that the Hulk in his rage, you know, after realizing that Banner tried to kill him, screams and smashes the ground and causes an earthquake. And miles away, we see a fissure form in a glacier. And when the the ice clears, who do we see but Captain America? Yeah. Now that for me is the the bridge too far of like <laughs> the planet is how big? And you mm-hmm. just went for a, a random stroll to go off yourself in the middle of nowhere and you just happen to trip over Captain America's shield along the way. That's really, really, really massive coincidence to have happen like that. Okay. Now, the idea of the the scene, Mm -hmm. I'm sure Marvel's like, hey, we're not going to have our hero put a gun in his mouth because we Mm -hmm. got kids watching this movie and we just can't have that. Mm-hmm. But they still kept the idea and had Mark Ruffalo deliver that line when he meets uh, Black did. Widow in Avengers. They did. So they did like that that concept. Mm-hmm. As long as you yeah. don't actually show him putting a gun in his mouth, he can retell the story in the in the past tense, and that's okay. Well, but at the same time, that shows you what an appealing performer Mark Ruffalo is. He can take a moment that's that dark, and remember, he kind of puts a comic spin on it. You mm-hmm. know the. Yeah, the other guy spit it out. There's another moment in that scene that he did, I think, Mm -hmm. unconsciously or subconsciously, where Mm -hmm. he talks about things that he can't have, and then he touches the baby cradle that's, like, to his right at that moment, and it implies that he won't ever be able to have children, which then prompts, you know, Scarlet's character to also Mm kind of confess the same issue. Or mm-hmm. she, I think she does that in a later movie. But either way, he, mm-hmm. he didn't really have, like, when he was talking about filming that scene, it wasn't like he had any grand plan mm-hmm. in mind by touching that little cradle. But it was like, mm-hmm. I think the director was Joss Whedon, who was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's brilliant. It implies you can't have kids. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess it kind of does, doesn't it? All right, we'll keep it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'll take the credit for the brilliance, even though I just wanted to put my hand on something. Could have yeah. been a toaster for all I knew. There we go. I, I can't have toast. <laughs> yeah. All right. So... All right. Well, anyway, back to, uh, so Norton redoes the script and he decides that again, you know, that this is going to be a serious Hulk film. So uh, he basically recaps the Hulk's origin story. And the problem is it then becomes the first hour of this movie. Mm -hmm. And so when they do the test audiences, it's only been seven years at this point since the Ang Lee film is like, is this a sequel to the Eric Bana movie? Is it no, 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 no. That's not what we're doing. But they initially tried to carry over Edward Norton's facial features to the CG version of the Hulk. And when they then looked at it, it's like he doesn't look like the Hulk. He, you know, I mean, it, his it, face it, is uh, too skinny. 
No, that's it exactly. So it's like, so they couldn't do that. Mm. And this is when Norton started to get difficult to deal with. And there's a a rule at Marvel Studios that actually came out of the the production of the the Incredible Hulk. And basically it is the no assholes rule. (laughs) And it's just the effect of, okay, you know, we're not going to make any movies anymore with assholes. You know, we're going to make movies with people who work with us, who are part of the team. And the original writer of the Incredible Hulk script... Uh, talked about how he, you know, for example, there's a scene in the movie where a General Thunderbolt Ross throws Banner out of a helicopter and he becomes the Hulk on the way down. But it was much earlier in the film and it was in a jungle setting. And Norton decided, ooh, this would be cool. Let's put this in the climax of the movie when, you know, the abomination is tearing up Harlem. And so, you know, let's throw the Hulk out of the plane and, and Banner, or Banner out of the plane and becomes Hulk on on the way down, and it was the, the writer was like, you know, um, there are millions of people who live in Harlem, and throwing the Hulk down on top of them. And I realize the abomination is down there, but that's not really a good idea. Well, you need chaos to to make the fight have an impact. I mean, if it's a bunch of trees get knocked down, nobody cares. But if a whole you know city mm-hmm. block gets leveled, all of a sudden people mm-hmm. are like, oh my god, the humanity. Yeah, I get that. But but the interesting thing is again the abomination, played by by Tim Roth, who who played uh, both Blonsky and the abomination. The thing is, Roth had used a motion capture suit in Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. So the notion of I want to do both parts, and Roth walked the walk and talked the talk. I mean, you know, the, the CGP, in fact, there's a reason that Tim Roth got invited back to do She-Hulk attorney at law. Again, the no assholes rule. He said he wanted to do the, the same performance. He put on the suit. He did the time. The effects stream loved him. Whereas Norton said this, and then after one or two times of putting on the suit, it's like, eh, this is too much work. I don't want to do this. And the other thing, frankly, that that ticked off the people at Marvel was the fact that they had gone to Universal and cut a deal with them to the effect of, okay, we'll do this, this, you know, we've hired an Academy Award-winning actor, Edward Norton, to play the Hulk. And we'd like to do a trilogy of new Hulk movies that you will then release through Universal Pictures. And Universal was, and you'll pay to make these and we'll release them and we'll split the money. Absolutely, this is a great idea. But then when the Hulk came out in June of 2008 and only made $254 million, and that's both the domestic and the worldwide gross, and this is literally basically the same amount that the Ang Lee Hulk film made back in 2001. It was like Universal said, why do we go to all this effort? And it's like, no, we're not, you know, thank you. We're not doing another two Hulk movies. And then we've talked about how going forward into the MCU that the Hulk can be a supporting character but can't carry a whole movie. It's just that's the the language of the deal. Mm. Uh, But anyway, it comes time now to do the Avengers. And, you know, and so it's now, okay, we're going to pull together the whole team. So are you going to bring Edward Norton back to do the Hulk? And in 2010... Kevin Feige, who he actually sends out a press release in 2010 that dismisses publicly Norton from the role. 
that said, we have made the decision to not bring Edward Norton back to portray the title role of Bruce Banner in The Avengers. Our decision is definitely not one made on monetary factors, but instead rooted in the need for an actor who embodies the creative and collaborative spirit of our other talented cast members. The Avengers demands players who thrive on working as part of an ensemble, as is evidenced by Robert, Chris H., Chrissy, Sam, Scarlett, and all of our other talented cast. We are looking to announce a name actor who fulfills these requirements and is passionate about the iconic role in the coming weeks. So That is the most polite bitch slap I have ever heard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the most elegant tossing under the bus that, that, that I've ever heard. Now, the interesting thing about this is Norton, when asked later about it, said, yeah, that was cheap. But on the other hand, when you stand back and you look at the MCU, it is the most brilliantly executed business plan. So you have to applaud Kevin Feige for what he yeah. he pulled off. I mean, I, would I have liked to have continued as a character? Sure. But didn't happen. And when he was making the movie, he said one of his most delightful experiences ever working with another actor was working with William Hurt as, as Thunderbolt Ross. But to give you some idea of how bad things got toward the end when they, they began to cut the movie and they took out like the first hour, which recapped Bruce Banner's story, when it came time to shoot the, the end scene with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and William Hurt, it was at this point uh, Norton had told them, I, I'm, you know, I'm not only not coming back, I won't do publicity for the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I will do whatever I am minimally contracted to, and that's it. And so that whole scene at the end of the movie—that's Robert Downey Jr. and William Hurt ad-libbing. Fortunately, we've, we have talented actors in those roles who can be given minimal direction and do maximum execution. Now, speaking of, of things that are done, small things that have. Huge impacts. You know, again, what I love about what you're doing over at 32nd Street and the way you focused on on Madison Avenue and how the, they'll take a 30-second ad or a 60-second ad. And, you know, by the end of it, it's like, I don't know why I must have that product, but I must have mm-hmm. that product. So what this week are, are you going to horrify me with? You know, the, the, this one this one cuts to the bone. It's obfuscation of a message. Uh, it's okay. hiding it in plain sight. And mm-hmm. uh, people go, why in the hell would you want to do that? I'll, I'll tell you a company that would do that and why they'd want to do that. Uh, Remington, the mm-hmm. gun manufacturer, mm-hmm. paid a huge amount of money to get their uh, ACR, assault combat mm-hmm. rifle, into a Call of Duty video game, but they had them take yeah. their name off, right? So mm-hmm. you don't see Remington? Why would you mm-hmm. do that, Jim? Well, so the people who get pissed off that you're advertising guns to their children can't mm-hmm. call you and complain. But when the kids go online and say, my favorite gun is an ACR, guess what website it takes you to? Remington. Mm-hmm. So hide your name, but make a deal so your gun gets into a virtual gun gets into the hands of of the children and that way when they're ready to buy their first murder assault weapon they pick a winner a remington winner and uh, yeah so that's i I just i remember hearing the stories about when this deal was going down Mm -hmm. that the folks who did the video game the remington people insisted 
that they come to their range and all of the audio mm-hmm. is, I mean, Authentic. it's the act. Yeah, no, that's it exactly. That they felt, you know, especially with what the actual business plan here was to mm-hmm. get kids excited. You know, the notion of it had to sound like it. It had to, you know, I mean, Jim, it, I'll, I'll go you one further than that. I play with mm-hmm. a group of guys who are legitimate gun lovers and, mm-hmm. and they own a, their own little arsenal, but they're responsible individuals. They're not crazy, mm-hmm. you know, you know, just shooting guns everywhere. They're very responsible gun owners. Mm-hmm. And they'll sit there at the virtual gun bench in the video mm-hmm. game and tinker with, you know, a hair trigger and a laser sight and, the, and how it kicks in their hand with the, the rumble of the, the joystick when you pull the trigger. And then they'll go to an actual gun range and compare it against a real life counterpart of that and see if the kickback is similar to what's in the video game and come back and give a report to their friends of this this weapon is accurate to what is it is in real life in sound and handling and feel and and draw everything and uh yeah they go to great great painstaking lengths to make those weapons as true to life as if you just went and picked one up off a shelf today so it's uh, some amazing stuff Oh, it sounds like a great story. Well, again, folks, seriously, uh, go check out 32nd Street. And and your co-host on that show again? Is Ron Gold. He's a, a okay. cancer research specialist. Uh, that's mm-hmm. where he does most of his work. But he's got a degree in psychology. So that's where we get the, the psychology aspect as well of 32nd Street. Very cool. Very cool. Oh, oh, by the way, we also have some some other shows here on Jim Hill Media we'd, we'd like you to check out. We, of course, have Disney Dish, which I do with Lentesta fine-tuning i do it through taylor uh, who by the way has his own terrific outside podcast light the fuse the official mission impossible podcast he does that with charles hood and uh in fact brian gone and i just uh recorded a brand new looking at lucasfilm and i know we talked previously on the show about disney unpacked the new video series that len testa and i did with jim shul veteran imagineer and First episode dropped in in October. That was about the magic carpets of Aladdin. Our second episode, uh, which is going to be about Crush's Coaster, Disney's first and and to date only spinning coaster in in a Disney theme park worldwide. But that drops on Patreon on November 5th. And if you want a taste of of what the show is like, head on over to YouTube. uh, Check out the Disney Unpacked channel. Let's see. Beyond that, Aaron, you are still doing the social media thing on X, Twitter, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I haven't had any time to do anything. So just imagine that I have written something incredibly witty and uh, and very scathing in in someone's uh, viewpoint. But whatever, uh, you can find me on X at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. And when I get time, I'll find something tweet worthy. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I'm similarly still on X, Twitter, uh, also on Instagram as Jim Hill Media. Likewise, on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Uh, beyond that, if you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and not only rate recommend the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but if you could put in a plug for 32nd Street, that would be great. And I think we're gonna close for now that's going to be it for this week because aaron's got to get back to spider-man 2 i you know i, I want a full report Could, how far would you say you are into the game at this point i honestly have no idea because i've been playing it in small bursts here and there mm-hmm. like half an hour here half an hour there so mm-hmm. I, I really have no concept of time also i've been trying to do side quests because i don't i don't want to do the mission too fast and mm-hmm. have have my dessert be gone in just a few bites i want to savor it you know
Very smart adult thing to do. Okay, well, anyway, we'll get a further report on what else he finds in this virtual Manhattan. But till then, thanks for listening, folks, and we will be back soon.